facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. A fantastic Friday to everybody out there. It's good to be with you today. It's Friday. It's August the 18th, 2023. And so happy that you've chosen to spend this hour with me. Let me give out the studio line to call, 888-914-9149, toll free to talk to me, 888-914-9149. You can also email the program, kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And of course, you can find me on the X app, formerly known as Twitter, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. We've got lots to talk about today. Lots of good stuff. In the beginning, it was not so. That's what Jesus said in today's gospel. How how come some people feel that marriage is a second-class sacrament? Uh, Not not too long ago, we had a talk about married priests, and would you be okay with this if if your parish priest was a married priest? Lots of reaction, lots of calls, lots of feedback. And one of the things that I kept hearing from you guys through emails and, and other means of communication was that, hey, hey, don't you know that celibacy is sort of a, a higher life state? It, yeah, I get why people say that, but we can't discount the fact that marriage is not a second-class sacrament. We'll, we'll get into this. Hey, why doesn't the Catholic Church allow for divorce, by the way? That's another thing that Jesus tackles in the Gospel today. Why doesn't the Catholic Church just go along with every other Christian group on the face of the planet, pretty much? and allow for easy divorce. Plus, we've got the week that was coming up, and here's Johnny, not Carson, but I'm talking about Johnny Football. Yeah, I finally saw the documentary. I will get into that later on. But once again, that number to call, 888-914-9149. Producer Jim, it's good to have the regular show music back. We're just concluding our August summer pledge drive. Answer the call. And by the way, we're 97% of the way to the goal. Uh, We've cleared over 2.9 million. Got to get to three. And I'm sure with your generosity, that's going to happen tonight, maybe even during this program or over the weekend. Don't forget that if you didn't get a chance to donate this week, you can still do so through the website, through the relevant radio app, or by calling this number. It's a different number than our studio line, 877-291-0123. And by the way, every gift that you give is matched 100% and tax deductible. So once again, thank you guys for your generosity. I know summer's a tough time, it's, but you, you, you are, as our listeners, have proven once again uh, that you like what we're doing, you want to keep us going, and we are so very grateful for each and every one of you. All right, let's get rolling. we got a normal show tonight, and I'm excited to be back rocking it in the free world as we normally do. Here, here's today's gospel, and it comes to us from the gospel of Matthew chapter 19. It says, some Pharisees approached Jesus and tested him, saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause whatsoever? (laughs) They pretty much want a blank check here. And then Jesus says in reply, Have you not read that from the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. They said to him, Then why did Moses command that the man give the woman a bill of divorce and dismiss her? He said to them, Because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. 
but from the beginning it was not so. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife unless the marriage is unlawful and marries another commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if that is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. It's a pretty low view of marriage there by the apostles, but Jesus continues. He answered, Not all can accept this word, but only those to whom that is granted. Some are incapable of marriage because they were born so, some because they were made so by others, some because they have renounced marriage for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Whoever can accept this ought to accept it. So very powerful passage from Matthew chapter 19 on the topic of divorce. A lot of people wonder why the Catholic Church doesn't allow for it. Part of your answer is right here. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Studio line is 888 All right. Well, it's interesting because Pharisees are kind of challenging Jesus, and they're not fair, you see. And I'm not going to sing the song this time, but uh, they're really not fair. And, and you have to ask the question, why are they asking this question? <laughs> Is it lawful for a person, for a man to divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever? I mean, again, carte blanche here is what they're asking for. Why would they, and, and by the way, you, you might think that's outlandish, but that actually was the practice in Jesus's day. The rabbis taught that, and this is so cruel, it's cruel and unusual punishment, if a man noticed a woman who was more attractive than his spouse, that would be grounds for divorce. Or or if she displeased him in some way, if the meal was overcooked, the turkey was overdone, then that's grounds for divorce. Uh, This is cruel. This is extremely cruel and unusual punishment. And I'll tell you why, because in the first century, a woman couldn't enroll in, in secondary education or post-secondary education, couldn't learn a trade, couldn't start her own business. It just wasn't the way it was at that time. And if you didn't have, if you weren't married, A, or living with family or in some other situation where there are people taking care of you, you're on the street. And when you're on the street, bad things happen. Bad things happen, just as today, as in the first century. And Jesus knows this. And very often these trumped up grounds for divorce, these ridiculous reasons for it that that a lot of the Pharisees were using at the time were nothing more than a chance for them to indulge their own lusts and wanting wanting to commit essentially fornication. And that that is exactly why Jesus is livid with these guys. And by the way, there's something even more insidious behind this. I think they're trying to get Jesus killed. They are absolutely trying to get Jesus killed here. Think about it. why would they ask him this question at this place at this time? Because when you when you look back through at least what we know in the Gospels, Jesus is teaching so far, he's talking about the kingdom of God. He's proclaiming the message of the kingdom. He's not so much getting into marriage tribunal type stuff. Not not at this time. Not not that we know of. But th- there's really one reason why they're asking him this question. And by the way, where is this happening? If you look back a couple of verses before this passage. It says that Jesus left Galilee and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him there, and he cured them. He's a one-man walking health care clinic. You don't need any deductible here. 
you just touch him and you are going to be healed of any possible disease that you might have. It doesn't matter how bad. And he's casting out demons. This is absolutely gold for people in the first century. You've got at least 50, 60% of the population that's pretty sick at any given time. And Jesus is offering real hope. But he's also preaching the message of the kingdom. But think about where they're at. They're in the region of Judea. Now, why they're asking him this question in this place is because of John the Baptist. Jesus' relative, John the Baptist, the forerunner, essentially Jesus' PR guy. He's the guy saying, hey, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. And don't forget, John was killed, was eliminated, because he had gone after, he had publicly chastised Herod Antipas, the creator of Antipasta, by the way. Herod Antipas, who was the tetrarch of Galilee. He, you know, Herod the Great, his kingdom was split up among his sons. So Herod Antipas was one of those guys. He had divorced his lawfully wedded wife, and he had married his sister-in-law, Herodias, who was, who was married to his brother Philip. Uh, that makes things a little awkward at Thanksgiving. However, uh, Jesus is pretty well known as having this connection with John. And so the Pharisees are asking him this question about marriage, saying, yeah, I wonder what Jesus thinks about Herod's activities. And, and they're, they're assuming he's going to answer the same way that, that John did. And they're probably hoping that the same thing will happen to Jesus as what happened to John the Baptist. Psh, off with his head. They're trying to eliminate him. This is just evil and insidious. And by the way, we, we don't even know really. Historians don't know exactly why Antipas uh, got rid of his, 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 his lawfully wedded wife. She was, by the way, his real wife was the daughter of the king of the Nabataeans, uh, King Aretas IV. Anyways, but, so he had, he had dismissed her and the Pharisees wanted to know, hey, do you agree with John on this? Do you agree with John? And maybe, maybe, just maybe, this might get back. Maybe someone will tweet this out or use the new X app, as it's called now, and and, and get this back. Herod's going to read this, and, and this Jesus problem that we have is going to go away. And by the way, not all the Pharisees were against Jesus. Some of them actually were, they believed in his teaching, uh, but many of them did not like him. But, the, but we, get, we also can't forget that the guys who actually turned Jesus over to Pilate were the Sadducees, not the Pharisees. The Sadducees were in league with, they were in cahoots with the Roman governor. And um, they were the ones who actually had Jesus condemned to death because they were in control of the priesthood, the high priesthood, the temple establishment, not the Pharisees. At any rate, th- this, is, this is something that, that, this is a danger for Jesus. And we, we saw in another place in Luke's gospel, hey, Herod wants to kill you. Somebody comes up to Jesus and says, Herod wants to kill you. You better get out of here. And he's like, forget it. No, I'm not scared of this guy. I'm going I'm I'm to achieve my goal. You tell that fox, you tell Herod, I'm going to cast out demons today and tomorrow, and then on the third day I'm going to reach my goal. Whew. So he is not afraid whatsoever. He sets his face like flint to go to, uh, to Jerusalem. And he knows he's going he's gonna to meet his demise there. But he also has confidence in his heavenly father that he will be raised up once again. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. If you want to call in, you got a take, you got a question on this. So so Jesus here in, in Matthew 19, today's gospel, how does he respond to the Pharisees when they ask this question? What's your take uh, on divorce? Is it, is it kosher with you? 
And Jesus says this, have you not read? Have you not read? And by the way, that is a really cold shot from Jesus against the Pharisees. I mean, he is being super sarcastic here. Uh, Jesus had a great sense of humor. A lot of his stuff is Hebrew humor. Uh, you don't quite catch it sometimes when you read it in your English Gospels, but but he is really taking a shot at the Pharisees because they they styled themselves, you know, PhDs in Scripture. They they thought they were Bible scholars extraordinaire, and they they took a lot of pride in this. And so Jesus is saying, do you, do you even know the Bible? Have you even read it? Have you even read the Old Testament? Of course, there is no New Testament at this time. But have you read the works of Moses? You're, you're talking about Moses here. Uh, well, did you, did you read the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible? What does it say in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27? That's what Jesus says. Have you not read that the one who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You've got to leave and cleave. Leave the home of your parents, cleave to your wife. And create this new community, this new family, this new this new marriage, one flesh, in the union, the sacramental union. Of course, Jesus institutes the sacrament. It wasn't a sacrament then, but you know where I'm going with this. And so, this again, I can't underline enough how how sarcastic this is. And I'm sure the crowd was laughing at these guys because th- this is pretty bad. If this was like a rap battle, this would be like Eminem just like pff, destroying his opponents, um, and they just mic drop, you just walk off the stage. But then they're like, okay, they try to save it a little bit. They try to save themselves. So they say, well, okay, okay, smart guy. Then why did Moses command us to give a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her? And Jesus says, okay, it was because you were so hard-hearted that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. It was not so. Now, I love this response from Jesus because he's essentially, he's trumping Moses with Moses. Because they want to bring up Moses. Yeah, Moses allowed for this. Hey, how can you say this is wrong? Moses allowed people in the old covenant time to write up a bill of divorce if their wife displeased them or something. And it wasn't for just a frivolous reason like I was talking about earlier. Like it was a big deal if this happened. But but Moses allowed it. So why don't you, Jesus, are you a bigger deal than Moses? And he kind of says, yeah, I am. I kind of am a bigger deal than Moses. Because, first of all, he goes back to the very intent of God from the beginning. He says, in the beginning, it was not so. And that wor- those words, in the beginning, that's a direct quotation of the very first v- book of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, also a book of Moses, by the way. So, let's go back to God's original intent. And then he claim, he does claim to have even more authority than Moses, because he says this, I say to you, this is uh, Matthew 19, verse 9, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for unlawfulness, we're going to get into that in just a second, what does that mean? Except for unlawfulness, and marries another, commits adultery. Whew, so, okay, so he does take more. I said, I'm saying this. I know Moses said that at this point, but I'm saying this. Nobody talked like that in the ancient world. No rabbi talked like that. So this is, this is pretty wild. And even the disciples are shocked by this. 
even the, the apostles are shocked by this. In, in, in chapter 19, verse 10 of Matthew, from today's gospel reading, his disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. I mean, if you can't just divorce your wife for, for any reason and start over again, why do it? This is, again, this is a pretty low view of marriage by the apostles. This is not exactly, and you can just imagine Jesus just smacking his forehead. Oy vey, you guys, come on. How long have you been hanging out with me? So, again, it's a, it's a teachable moment here. It's a teachable moment for Jesus. And he says, look, guys, not everybody can accept this teaching. He actually uses it as an opportunity to talk about something else. He's using it to, to talk about celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. This idea of not marrying. Okay, now, now you bring up this whole idea of not marrying. But by, by the way, if you do marry, it's until death. And, and Jesus wasn't the only person to, to teach this, by the way. People often ask, well, hang on here. What, is there anybody else in, in, in Jesus' time who thought this way? Obviously, the Pharisees allowed for divorce. What about other groups? Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls are a great, great clue about this. The guys who lived in the, in the caves at the Dead Sea at Qumran, and maybe you've been there. Maybe I'll take you there one day on a, on a pilgrimage tour to Israel. I've taken people there before. It's one of my favorite places in the world. When you go down there, the lowest point on planet Earth, you know, below sea level, it is hot. It's a desert. It, it is unbelievably beautiful in certain ways in a, in a very, um, I don't know how to describe it, but, but these caves in the Dead Sea where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they actually belong to a community known as the Essenes. There were different groups in first century Judaism. I, I kind of make the analogy of just as there are different Protestant denominations there were different groups within Judaism that sort of competed for people's adherence and, well, we've got the right way to, to be a Jew in the first century. And the Essenes basically thought everybody else wasn't holy enough and they're not doing it right. Not even the Pharisees are holy enough for them. So they actually separated themselves from the rest of society. It's almost like they, they wanted to just escape from the world and they would form these little communities. One of them was down by the Dead Sea in Qumran, and they wrote all these documents, and they, 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 had, they, wrote, they had copies of the scriptures, of course. When they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found the oldest copies ever that had ever been discovered in the 1940s when, when they were uncovered. The, the, the famous Great Isaiah Scroll, it's a good example. If you go to Jerusalem, you go to the, the, uh, uh, the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, you'll see the, the Shrine of the Book, which is dedicated to the Dead Sea Scrolls and everything that they found there. They've got the original copy. The the copy that they found of the great Isaiah scroll. It's a complete copy of the book of Isaiah. It was over a thousand, I think almost 1500 years older than the, the oldest copy in the world that, that was in existence at that time. This is an ama a major find. And by the way, it's exactly the same as the book of Isaiah that you have in your Bibles today. In other words, people haven't doctored the scriptures. The Bible hasn't been changed like a game of telephone where nobody gets it right. And it's hopelessly been corrupted. That's not true. So don't listen to folks like that when they say that to you. But the Dead Sea Scrolls, the, the, the guys who lived in this community, they, they had some thoughts about marriage too. And in one of these works that they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's called 11Q Temple. It's called the Temple Scroll. It's found in cave number 11. That's why it's 11Q at Qumran Cave 11. And here's what it says. And this is, by the way, it's a commentary on Deuteronomy 
chapter 17, verse 17, which says, He shall not multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. That's exactly what happened to King Solomon. We talked about Solomon a few days ago. Solomon had all these wives and all these concubines, and guess what? They turned his heart away from God. The temple scroll says this, He is not to take another wife in addition to her. That's his own wife, his original wife. No, she alone will be with him as long as she lives. If she dies, then he may take himself another wife from his father's house. That is his family. We're talking extended family here, way out there, not, not you know, too close relations. So that, that's from the 11Q Temple Scroll. So that, that, by the way, that's exactly what's taught by the Catholic Church today, that only death, the death of one of the spouses, can end a valid marriage. Uh, don't get any ideas, okay? But but uh, I'm sure, my wife said, oh, "I want to take this pillow." And no, no, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. That's never happened. But at least I don't think so. Uh, but so so only death can end a valid marriage in the sight of God. And so they 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 believed this. They believed this. And by the way, here's another thing. I got to read this to you as well. This is also from the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they're talking about their enemies here, their opponents, who who they thought were kind of slack with the law of God, the law of Moses, playing kind of fast and loose with it. It says, they are caught in two traps. Number one, fornication by taking two wives in their lifetimes, although the principle of creation is male and female he created them, Genesis one twenty seven, And those who went into the ark went into the ark two by two. Concerning the leader, it is written, he shall not multiply wives to himself. But David had not read the sealed book of the law. And then there's another little commentary here in uh, another scroll, 4Q, fragment number 416. They only found these things in fragments. They very rarely would find complete intact scrolls. There's a, there's a little commentary here on Genesis 2.24. It says, when, are, when you are united, live together with your fleshly helper. For as the verse says, a man should leave his father and mother and adhere to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So Jesus is very much in line with some of the teaching that was going on, at least at the Dead Sea Scrolls. So he wasn't the only one thinking this, that people had gotten way too lax with, with their view of marriage, allowing for easy divorce. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 so, okay, so we, we have to talk about this whole thing uh, of celibacy because the way that the apostles were looking at this, they were looking at it as some sort of a, I want to get out of this whole marriage situation. Okay, If I can't divorce my wife for any reason, um, hey, what if she stops working out? Uh, what, what if, what if um, I meet another girl who I think is prettier? Uh, what if the, the cooking kind of uh, isn't uh, what it should be? Well, you know, they might say, well, Make yourself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, Peter. I, I, I don't know. But they're, so they're, they're not, when Jesus is bringing up this top, when they bring up not, maybe it's better not to get married, they're not thinking about celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. They're, they're thinking about something else entirely. They're just thinking about some way to make, give, give themselves an easy life. And, and, and by the way, some of the Essenes, these guys who lived in the, in the Dead Sea, they, they kind of thought this way too. They, some of them thought, that marriage was not a great thing. That they kind of had a, they kind of had a low view of marriage as well. 
Here's what they said, according to Josephus, the great Jewish historian of the times. He says, the Essenes neither bring wives into the community, nor do they own slaves, since they believe that the latter practice, that slavery, contributes to injustice. They're right about that, obviously. And with regard to marriage, marriage opens the way to a source of dissension. Marriage they disdain, it says. So they're just kind of looking. They're just like, I don't want to fight with my wife. It's not worth it. Uh, in, in the book of Proverbs, there's a proverb that says, it's better to live on the corner of the rooftop of your house than to live with a quarrelsome wife. And again, <laughs> this is the idea. I just don't want the headaches. Um, Epictetus, a, a famous writer from the ancient world, he, he said this. Now, this guy wasn't a, coming from a faith perspective of any kind, but he said, was it not great gain? This is bad. This is really bad. You're, you're going to hate this guy. Here's what he says, Epictetus. He says, was it not great gain to lose a frail and adulterous wife? He's just like, I'm glad she's gone. You know, she was an adulteress. I could see that. But, you know, she's sick. I mean, that's that's kind of mean. But he went on to say, I have neither wife nor children. Yet what do I lack? Am I not free from pain and fear? So, okay. So, again, some of these guys just wanted to avoid marriage. They had a low view of marriage. That, that's not the view of Jesus. So when Jesus talks about celibacy for the sake of the kingdom, that's not what he's talking about. He's not trying to talk about uh, making an easy life for yourself so you, no one will ever bother you about watching Sunday night football. No. Well, maybe your wife likes it too. I don't know. But but that's not where, what he's getting at. He's like, I want to set the record straight about celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. It's not what you think it is. It's not about what you think it's about. And I will tell you guys about this. I'll tell you what Jesus said. And by the way, Jesus, again, he, he uses something. It's, it's pretty amazing. There's this phrase, eunuchs for the kingdom. Whew. He says, there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. They're physically unable to have children, a birth defect or something like that. There, there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. Ooh, like some sort of a surgical procedure. That's, oof. Talk about that. But there are others who have made themselves eunuchs. They haven't castrated themselves. He's talking about something else. They made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. What is this all about? I'm going to tell you about this in just a moment. But we do have to take a break here on the Kale Clark Show. Just before we do that, I just want to thank you once again for your generosity. We are going to hit our target, God willing, thanks to you. If you didn't get a chance to make a donation to our pledge drive, you can do so on the website, the app. 100% match going on still right now this hour. We'll be right back with more on the Kale Clark Show. Right after this, 888-914-9149. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program on this Friday. Some music from Friday Night Lights. That's one of the best TV shows ever. If you, even if you don't like football, it is amazing. It's an amazing show if you get to watch it. Uh, Friday. I haven't seen the Friday Night Lights movie, um, but I, I loved, loved, loved uh, the TV show. So check that out. Check that out uh, if you get a chance. And... Um, uh, one of the the cool kind of connections with that is uh, Johnny Manziel, known as Johnny Football. The interesting documentary dropped about him. It's called Untold Johnny Football. 
It's on Netflix. And if you don't know who Johnny Football is, uh, the phenomenon was 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 Beatles esque, if you will, around 2012, 2013. And this guy totally fell from grace, flew too close to the sun. Uh, I have some reactions on that documentary coming up later in the program. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. The number to call right now is triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. But Really quick, we're going to actually have for you the week that was. The producer, Jim, has been getting ready for you. It's, it's, I can't wait to hear this, so just hang on for a second. But I do want to say that if you're on the line right now, we'll try to get your call. Ralph, I see you there. We'll try to get to you. Anyone else wants to call in, 888-914-9149. Also, just wanted to remind everybody once again that we are really, really close. I have no doubt in my mind that we're going to clear our target. We needed to raise three, uh, $3.0 million at least uh, during our pledge drive this week, our summer pledge drive, and you guys made it happen. We are just over the $2.9 million mark. We should be passing over the $3 million mark sometime over the weekend, maybe even during this program. And so thank you very much for for all of your gifts. Uh, August is the toughest time, but you guys always come through for us. And if you didn't get a chance to donate, you can do so at relevantradio.com, at the app. If you give online, we'll send you an extra free gift uh, from Patrick Madrid. It's a talk he did on angels. But you can also call the pledge drive number 877-291-0123. You can do that anytime over the weekend, and your gift will still be matched dollar for dollar. All right. Without further ado, producer Jim Shaper has cooked up for you. And he loves to cook. He believe me, this guy loves to cook. Brats, you know, steaks, what you you name it. I I've I've had it. And he is he is really uh flavored. He has seasoned this particular version of the week that was for you. So it is going to be a chef's kiss. I know it. Here it is, the week that was. Now, Maximilian Kolbe had been arrested by the Nazis and had been thrown into prison. One of the prisoners escaped. Ten men from the cell block of the escapee would be selected at random to die in a starvation bunker. Commander Fritsch came to select the ten men. Now, this guy was absolutely brutal. Very slowly, he picked out the 10 men. One of the men who was condemned, named Sergeant Francis Gajonacek, was a married father, and when he was selected to die in the starvation bunker, he immediately started to break down in tears. Father Kolbe actually broke ranks, and he walked directly up to the imposing Commander Fritsch. The commander said this to him, What does this Polish pig want? And Father Kolbe very humbly replied, I am a Polish Catholic priest, and I am old. And I want to take this man's place because he has a wife and children. Commander Frisch, he actually agreed to it. He actually agreed to the switch. And so they were sent to the starvation bunker. And Father Kolbe lasted for quite a long time. And he prayed with those who were dying. He comforted them. Into the third week, only Father Kolbe and three others remained. So on August the 14th, 1941, the vigil of the Feast of the Assumption of the Virgin Mary, Father Maximilian Kolbe was killed by an injection of acid in his left arm with a prayer on his lips. They found Father Kolbe sitting against the wall with his eyes open. And it was said, that his face exhibited a serene glow. This will give you a jolt. What happened to Enoch? Check it out. Enoch, it says, was taken up so that he did not see death and he was not to be found because God took him up. For before his removal, he had been commended 
as having pleased God. That's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. That's not all. There is the prophet Elijah, and he, of course, was assumed into heaven, as you will, body and soul by a chariot of fire and a windstorm. You can see this in the first book of Kings, chapter 2. The point is that assumptions do happen. God has set the precedent, the principle of the thing. If he did it before, he certainly could do it for Mary because she's greater than any saint, greater than the angels, greater than her, no one but God. That's what St. Jose Maria said. One of the things about St. About Stephen of Hungary too, he's patron saint of kings, he's patron saint of also those who have children who passed away in infancy, which was a very common occurrence in the ancient world. I promise you I'd share with you, this is, a, this is an incredible letter. This is a letter that historians have dug up that he wrote to his son, Emmerich, St. Stephen of Hungary. Emmerich was supposed to be the next king, didn't work out that way. Uh, he died in a hunting accident when he was 24 years old. But, but here's the letter. This is really, really powerful. He said, my dearest son, if you desire to honor the royal crown, I advise, I counsel, I urge you above all things to maintain the Catholic and apostolic faith with such diligence and care that you may be an example for all those placed under you by God and that all the clergy may rightly call you a man of true Christian profession. That, that's amazing. We do this every pledge drive to thank you for your generosity. Michaela is here. Are you ready to start? Yeah, I have lots of good jokes. Okay, all right, well, let's let's hear it. How does a taco say grace? Hmm, I'm not sure. Let us pray. Let us pray. I love it. Patrick <laughs> Madrid would love that joke. He's a big, big taco fan. Where do horses live? Where do horses live? In neighborhoods. Neighborhoods. Excellent. <laughs> that is an awesome routine, Michaela. Give me five. That is that is amazing. Well, you, you've outdone yourself on this pledge drive. And Michaela, thank our wonderful listeners. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Producer Jim. That was awesome. And yes, thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, we really appreciate you. And once again, if you didn't get a chance to donate this week, you can do it right now. You can go to relevantradio.com. You can tap on the app. You might be listening on the app right now or call 877-291-0123. Thank you for your generosity once again, helping us to meet our need. And every dollar that you give, even tonight during this hour, is matched 100%. All right, let's go to the phones right now. I'm going to give out a different number now. This is the listener line. For the Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Sponsored by Charity Mobile. Let's go to Ralph in Silver Spring, Maryland, in the D.C. area. Hey, Ralph. Kale, wonderful show. Uh, tremendous contribution with your historical, biblical uh, narratives. It's really enlightening and, and educational. It's really, awesome. um, you, have a, you. you have a gift there, sir. My question is, what Bible was Jesus referring to when he was speaking to the Pharisees? And I think I know, but I, I want to tell the audience, and, and if it was the one I'm thinking of, the Greek interpretation, what hmm. Bible was it, it interpreted from? Was it that, does that original Hebrew scripture have a name? Yeah, well, first of all, Ralph, thank you, thank you very much for your kind words. I really, really appreciate that. Please pray for me. And I had the blessing of having some great, great teachers in my career 
and I just tried to be a sponge as much as I could. Dr. Craig Evans, friend of the program, I learned so much from him about this stuff. And uh, we've traveled to Israel together, worked on archaeological digs, and he'll be back on the show again soon. And so I've had very good fortune. I just try to pass on what I have learned myself. And uh, it's a, it, we have to do that. We've got to keep it moving. Uh, like a flowing stream, we don't want it to become a stagnant pond. It can't stay with me. Uh, but yeah, with, with respect to the, the Bible that Jesus was referring to, um, I, I would think that, well, it's kind of two different questions here, because when Matthew's composing this, Matthew himself may have um, had a certain translation in mind as he's quoting Jesus. He might have thrown in um, something from the Hebrew scriptures here and there at different times. But I, I, I would say this, just in general, I think that Jesus was very familiar in his career. And again, um, for the actual wording of, of Genesis that he's quoting here, I'd have to go back to Matthew's Greek text and, and compare that, which I'm not going to be able to do right now. But it's an interesting question. I, I would say, though, that, Ralph, in general, Jesus is very familiar with something called the Targums, the Aramaic Targums. Now, what are the Targums? They're basically uh, in t- translations of the scriptures in Aramaic. Now, we know that the street language that Jesus would have spoken uh, in, in Galilee, in Roman Palestine, would have been Aramaic. And, that, and so he was probably at least trilingual because he would have known Hebrew from the synagogue, reading the scriptures. Also, he would have known some Greek and uh, Greek was kind of out there as a, as a language, uh, you know, through which a lot of literature was out there. And, of course, business, a lot of business was conducted in Greek as well. Some Latinisms, for sure, from the Roman occupation. So, who knows? Like, working with, with Joseph, he probably was f- at least somewhat uh, able to be facilitating uh, work in, in all of those languages. But in terms of... How, what, he, what language he would be speaking with the apostles in on the, on the dusty roads of Galilee? Probably Aramaic. There is an Aramaic translation of the scriptures that was being used in the synagogue of Jesus' day. And it's kind of interesting sometimes because the way that, um, I, this is one of the things I learned from Dr. Evans, some of the Aramaic uh, translation gets into Jesus' teaching. Here's a great example. When he's being tempted by the devil, in the gospel, Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. And G- and the devil's tempting him, saying, hey, why don't you just cast yourself down? God's going to send his angels, you know, take you to the top of the temple. He will give his angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And that comes from Psalm 91. So the devil's misquoting scripture to Jesus. Well, it's really interesting because in the Aramaic version of the of psalm 91 now here's here's the english translation which comes from from the hebrew it says he who dwells in the shelter of the most high who abides in the shadow of the almighty will say to the lord my refuge and my fortress my god in whom i trust for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Okay, so we're kind of familiar with Psalm 91. It's a great uh, psalm for God's protection. But in the Aramaic version, it actually says, 
you will not fear the band of demons that stalks by night. How, how about that? It's, it, it's, it's basically protection from demonic spirits. Well, guess who Jesus is talking to? He's talking to the chief fallen angel, the Satan himself, Lucifer. And so he's calling on God's protection. So it's really interesting uh, how that plays into, into Jesus' teaching from time to time. So there's that flavor that comes in uh, that I, I do think makes it into, into the gospel. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate that, that question, Ralph. It's really interesting. Uh, from Silver Spring, Maryland. Thanks for your kind words, and thanks for listening, of course, uh, to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Appreciate you. All right, we got we got to get get back to what Jesus was saying here really quickly on this concept of eunuchs for the kingdom. Now, a eunuch is somebody who is incapable of marriage, the act of marriage, for various reasons. Some people have birth defects. They're born without certain parts. I don't think I need to elaborate more on that. Um, some who have been made, as Jesus says, eunuchs by others. There were... Of course, as I mentioned in talking about Solomon a few days ago, the the harem of the king, he had all these wives and concubines. Well, he had bodyguards for them, so nobody else would mess with them. And these are guys who, he would have them castrated. A lot of ancient kings would do this. And these guys would spend their days pumping iron like Arnold. And, uh, you know, are they using any performance-enhancing drugs? I have no idea. But they're, they're, they're getting buff. They're getting strong to protect the king's harem. But he has no fear. The king has no fear that he, he's going to try to date any of them because he's been castrated. And so Jesus says, hey, there are some who are eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. They've made themselves eunuchs. What does that mean? I, they haven't, you know, self-performed self-surgery. Or they, no, that, no, no, that would be self-mutilation. You can't do that. But what's he talking about? He's saying people have voluntarily renounced marriage for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He says, let anyone accept this who can. This is a gift, he says. Um, they've made themselves eunuchs. Not everybody can do this, he says, but only those to whom it is given. He's implying that there's a gift of celibacy, that it's a gift from God. It's a vocation from God. And so Jesus says, if anyone can accept this, go for it. Now, what's interesting is that, according to the late biblical scholar, Professor John Meyer, Father John Meyer, the great, great scholar of the historical Jesus from Notre Dame University, who just recently passed away. May he rest in peace. I met this guy in person. He was the nicest guy in the world, um, but an incredibly gifted scholar. And he suggested years ago that this phrase, eunuchs for the kingdom, that might have actually been an insult that was leveled at Jesus and the apostles because people knew that they were living celibate lives. Uh, and he said, well, what about Peter? He was married. He had a wife. Well, true. We don't know whether his wife was still alive, but we do know his mother-in-law was still alive. Jesus cured her. But uh, I'm sure Peter was angry about that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that's why he denied him later. That's the old joke. Anyways, uh, just kidding. Everyone loves their mother-in-law, of course. I love my mother-in-law. That's, I'm saying that honestly. Honestly, she's the best. Um but uh, even she has to laugh at these jokes sometimes, maybe. Um, but here, here's the deal. Th- this might have been an insult level to Jesus because they knew that he was celibate. And it, it, there were some people who were celibate, like some of the Essenes talked about that in the ancient world, but it was very rare at that time. And so the idea is people would have been sort of mocking them, saying, oh, there go those eunuchs, eunuchs for the kingdom. Ha, ha, ha. Ridiculous. And so Jesus might have, again, used that co-opted that as as and turned it around on people as, as a teachable moment. He's like, yeah, yeah, we are eunuchs for the kingdom. And and let me explain what this is all about. This is celibacy for 
the sake of the kingdom. It's a great gift. And Jesus says, if you, if you have this gift, you should go for it. And, and, and so that, that gets into the whole question of, you know, is celibacy uh, like a higher state? Um, and, and people argue about that. Look, it's not a higher state if you're not cooperating with God's grace. Uh, in the headlines this week, maybe you saw it, a priest from, uh, I think, Alabama uh, ran, ran off with this young girl who he had been apparently grooming. It's a, it's a really sordid story. Um, clearly, he's not living his gift of celibacy. Um, all kinds of stuff goes on in the world. All kinds of people are unfaithful to their vows, married people, celibate people. If you're not cooperating with God's grace, don't even, clearly, a lot of it depends on, uh, on that, right? Um, but there's a lot of people who want to denigrate marriage as a second-class sacrament, a second-class state. And I think that is that ought not to be. We need to be very, very careful with that. Here, here's a great story about this. This is a true story. Pope John Paul I, and he was known in Italy as Il Papa del Sorriso, or the smiling pope. The smiling pope. No other pope ever smiled in history. Or had to be really serious in their photos. But he did it. He, he smiled. Um, I'm only kidding. Of course they smiled. But, but he was called the smiling pope. And, of course, he reigned for a very, very short time. And I think it was only 33 days in office. Um, but on September the 13th, 1978, it was only 18 days after he was elected as Pope and just 15 days before he passed into eternity. He told this story at the general audience and, and there were some newlyweds there. And this was a tradition that I don't know whether he started or who exactly started it. Maybe it was Paul the sixth that newlyweds could go to Rome. And if they, if they were wearing their wedding attire, they, they would get seats at the audience of the Pope, and he would give them a special blessing. In fact, my wife and I, that's why we did our honeymoon in Rome, because we, we had tickets to the audience to see John Paul II. And my wife brought her wedding dress, I brought my tux, and uh, would I still fit in that thing today? <laughs> that's a good question. But uh, having said that, I'll bring it up for the 20th anniversary coming up, but um, that'll be good for a laugh. And uh, anyway, so we, we, we were all set, and, and that was the week. That was the week where John Paul II, it was Holy Week, where John Paul II uh, took ill, and, and, and he, he, he passed away shortly afterwards. So we never did get to see uh, JP II. Oh, I saw him before. I saw him at, at papal um, open-air masses before in Canada, but uh, wasn't that far away from him, actually, when he drove by in the Mobile. But I really wanted to meet him. Of course, my wife did, too. And uh, we didn't get to, but that's kind of what was going on here with John Paul I on this particular day, September the 13th, 1978. And he told a story to the newlyweds there. He said, on my right, there are the newlyweds. They have received a great sacrament. And by the way, that's a quote from uh, St. Paul the Apostle, of course, uh, in Ephesians. He talks about the great sacrament, the great mystery of marriage. And he says, let us wish that this sacrament, this is uh, JP1, <laughs> Pope John Paul I, let us wish that this sacrament, which they have received, the newlyweds, will really bring not only goods of this world, but more spiritual graces. Last century, there was in France a great professor, Frederick Ozenam. And by the way, he's now blessed Fred Frederick o Ozenam. And... Uh, who he was and what he was all about, that, that'll have to be a subject for another show, but really interesting character. He taught at the Sorbonne in France. I mean, this guy was a total like professional scholar. He was just really, really well known. Uh, and, and Pope John Paul I said he was so eloquent, 
so capable. And he had a friend named Father Lacordaire. Father Lacordaire. He was kind of buddies with Frederick Ozanam. And Father Lacordaire said, Frederick is so gifted. He is so good. He's going to become a priest. He's got to become a priest. He'll become a priest and he'll become a bishop and he'll be a fantastic bishop, this fellow. And uh, the Pope went on to tell the rest of the story. He said, no, he met a nice girl and they got married. Father Lacordaire was disappointed. And he said, poor Frederick Ozanam. He too has fallen into the trap. The tra- marriage is a trap. And he fell into it. He got tricked. And so that, that, that became a very, very well-known story. That, and Father Lacordaire kept telling this. Well, two years later, Father Lacordaire, was, he went to Rome and he was received by Pope Pius IX. And this had somehow gotten back to Pius IX, this whole, this whole brouhaha. And Pius IX, Pope Pius IX said to Father Lacordaire, he said, Come, come, Father, I have always heard that Jesus established seven sacraments. Now you come along and change everything. You tell me that he has established six sacraments and a trap. No, Father, the Pope said, marriage is not a trap. It is a great sacrament. So, and that, that story was told by, uh, by Pope John Paul I. Um, true story. So, uh, John Paul I concluded, he said, So let us express again our best wishes for these dear newlyweds. May the Lord bless them. It's not a second-class sacrament. So, that, that, that's a great story, isn't it? So, and that happens sometimes, you know, uh, guys who are considered quote unquote promising, you know, oh, this guy would make an amazing priest. If God calls them to the vocation of marriage, they're like, ah, he fell into the trap. Oh man, what a waste, you know, but that's, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous because again, the sacrament of marriage was established by Jesus Christ. Now marriage was already there. In fact, well, it wasn't a sacrament until Jesus made a sacrament, but, but JP two, the next Pope, he said that Jesus, really, he said marriage, he called it the primordial sacrament, even before Jesus made it a sacrament. Why? Because it goes back to the beginning. It's, it's part of the creation covenant. It's crucial. How, did, how does God get souls into heaven for all eternity? Well, first, they got to they they live in this planet, you know, in bodies. And where does that come from? Well, it comes from the matter of marriage, the, the bodies of the husband and the wife. And they have children. And of course, they have an eternal soul given at conception, and they've got to they've got to get this relationship with God going. And yes, the priests dispense the sacraments like baptism, and they they feed the situation, and so do the parents. The parents are responsible for the spiritual upbringing of their children as well. And uh, it's it's not a trap; it's a sacrament. It's a sacrament. So we we can't forget that. We can't forget that. It's, a, it's important. Uh, Jesus doesn't lead us into traps. He instituted the sacrament. And I think this is, this is something that we gotta, we got to get, get through our, our, our thick skulls because I think there, there's still a lot of clericalism out there in the world. Yeah, nobody would deny that the priesthood is an incredible, incredible calling. Um, and so is celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. And not everybody who, who gets the vocation of celibacy is called to the priesthood. You may be called to be a lay celibate in the world. Priesthood is a different, a different ball game, but um, there is still a lot of, I, I believe, a lot of clericalism in the church, and um, 
this idea that, you know, married Catholics are just simply trying to survive by the skin of their teeth and, and just, just do the, we're just going to do the best we can, but really it's, it's priests, nuns, monks. They're the ones that are like really holy and we're just trying to, try. no, we're all called by our baptism to become canonizable saints, to be canonizable saints. We, we've got to go for it. We're not exempt from holiness. We're not exempt from, from searching for the heights of holiness. And so, no, if you're married, if you, if you have the vocation to marriage, you're not a second-class Catholic. You're not a second-class Christian. Um, we shouldn't have to say this, but uh, St. Jose Maria Escrivá, the, the founder of Opus Dei, uh, he, he talked about this a lot, and he was once counseling somebody and said, don't laugh when I tell you you've got a vocation to marriage. You have just that. It's a vocation. It's a call from God. So... There we go. Anyways, thank you for joining me on the Kale Clark Show. We'll talk about Johnny Football on Monday. And don't forget, you can still donate to the Pledge Drive, relevantradio.com, and the app. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.